Hey there, this is Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Tate, a podcast that I am thrilled to say has walked toward the middle of the third canto of Purgatorio. In the last episode of this podcast, we had Dante the Pilgrim struck by fear when he noticed only he was casting a shadow. You know that this is a moment in which Virgil must reply. Virgil is the guide, after all. Oh, what an explanation it is. This is one of the strangest passages in all of comedy. I almost thought about giving this a double episode, but we're going to just try to tackle it now. There is no way we can come to firm conclusions about this. And before we get to the passage, which is lines 22 through 45 of Canto 3 of Purgatorio, let me just say that there is no way we can often come to any firm conclusions. And if you are a follower of this podcast, you know that I like to present options and tell you which way I kind of lean. Sometimes I don't actually lean one direction or another. And I like to throw it (laughs) into your lap. I'm picturing a big vat of soup out of the refrigerator, cold soup being tossed in your lap. Sorry about that. Don't mean to get you all messy with this, but I'm going to toss some of this into your lap because this is an incredibly complicated passage. We're using my English translation of the medieval Florentine. You can find it on my website, markscarbro.com or walkingwithdante.com. You can there print it off. You can make notes. You can even drop a comment and we can talk more about this episode of Purgatorio, Canto 3, lines 22 through 45, Virgil's reply to Dante's shock at feeling abandoned. Then my comfort, Virgil, turned fully toward me and said, Why are you still distrustful? Don't you believe that I'm next to you? and that I guide you? It's now evening back where the body with which I used to make a shadow is buried. Naples has my corpse. It was taken from Brindisi. If I don't cast a shadow now, don't marvel more than you would at the heavens, where one celestial sphere doesn't block the light of another. To suffer torments, heat and cold, the great power grants us bodies like these. Even so, it doesn't grant us the revelation to explain its ways. Anybody is crazy who hopes our reason has the ability to transverse the infinite path that the one substance in three persons takes. Be happy, O human race, with the quia, because if you'd been able to see everything, there'd have been no need for Mary to have given birth. And you've seen the fruitless desire of that sort, whose longing to have their desires fulfilled has eternally been the cause of their grief. I'm talking about Aristotle and Plato and a lot of others. At this point, he lowered his forehead, said no more, and remained in distress. I told you a while back that I think Virgil's character in Purgatorio causes him to become one of the most complicated characters in all of comedy from the get-go, going clear back to Ulysses, clear back to Francesca. In my interpretation of comedy, 
Nothing compares to the complexity of Virgil, and the complexity of Virgil becomes particularly pronounced in Purgatorio. Here we have a passage in which Virgil replies to the fear of the pilgrim. We're going to put aside the first three lines about Virgil being a comfort, and we're going to jump down into the passage and leave those first three lines until the very end. We have this passage in which Virgil tries to answer certain things about bodies and casting shadows, but he gets bound up in the fact that finally he can't make sense of it all. Let's start three lines into this passage at line 25. It's now evening, Virgil says, back where my body, with which I used to make a shadow, is buried. Naples has my corpse. It was taken from Brindisi. Virgil died on the 21st of September in the year 19 before Common Era. His body on the decree of Augustus was carried not exactly to Naples, more to Pozzuoli, but it's close to Naples. I don't think that Virgil is fudging here the problem of his death. He's fudging other problems, but we'll talk about that in a second. Medieval legend has it that St. Paul visited Virgil's tomb and wept. Why? According to much medieval lore, Virgil got very close to the truth of Christian revelation. And according to a medieval fable, a story that circulated around a lot of different places, St. Paul while he was on his way to Rome to finally be martyred there, stand trial and be martyred there, found Virgil's tomb and wept. By 1400 Common Era, we know that there were still bones in Virgil's tomb. Uh, we have various people claim to have held Virgil's bones around the year of 1400, just slightly thereafter. There are no bones left in the tomb. Now, the tomb is a bit of a wreck. You can still find it. But you'll notice here that Virgil makes a big deal out of his body. It's now evening back where the body with which I used to make a shadow is buried. Now, remember Dante's geography. Italy is halfway between Gibraltar and Jerusalem. So if it's sunrise, in fact, the sun has more than risen at this point in Purgatorio, the sun's up in the morning sky. That would mean the sun is down below sunset in Jerusalem in Dante's fixed earth global perspective. Italy would be halfway between Gibraltar and Jerusalem, so it would be coming on towards sunset evening in Italy. And that's what Virgil says. But what he says is something about his body. And remember, we talked about this a lot last time, about the body as a source of alienation, the body as a realization of abandonment. We're going to continue to talk around the body. And Virgil here seems to make a big deal about the loss of his body, but a big deal in a certain way. So let me pass on in the passage. If I don't 
cast a shadow. Now, Virgil says, don't marvel more than you would at the heavens, where one celestial sphere doesn't block the light of another. This is the idea that the spheres, that the planets and the sun is a planet in Dante's cosmology. The spheres that Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, Venus are set on, they're, you know, light can pass through them. So we can see Jupiter back there on its sphere behind other spheres. So therefore, bodies like these souls, <laughs> these dead bodies that Virgil has, don't block the light either. They must be made out of the same material. We want to come back to that. Let's just hold that for a second. That's a big point. Let's hold that for a second and move on. And he says, to suffer torments, heat, and cold, the great power. He uses the word kind of virtue or power. I added the adjective great. Virgil doesn't actually have it there in the text. I added it because he's meaning to reference God in some way, but he's sticking away from it. So this kind of power, universal power, grants us bodies. Oh, see how important bodies are? Bodies like these. Even so, it doesn't grant us the revelation to explain its ways. Oh, does that sound a little complaining? Does that sound a little bit as if Virgil is saying, hey, no fair. You put us in a body, but you didn't explain exactly how it all works. Then he goes on. Anybody is crazy who hopes our and our, he uses the word our, our reason, our, whose reason? You know, he's going to come down to Aristotle and Plato and even himself in this passage. Does he mean that philosopher's reason or does he mean our as in humankind's reason? Because he's also going to address the human race. It's a big question. Does he mean the specialist philosopher reason or does he mean everybody's reason, the thing that we've been gifted, reason, the way we figure out our way? Well, how doesn't really work, right? Anybody is crazy who hopes our reason has the ability to transverse the infinite path that the one substance in three persons takes. There's Virgil on the Trinity. Virgil seems to be complaining a little bit that he can't come to the truth of the matter. And we should say that Virgil is also saying, hey, I can't come to the truth of the matter and I'm made out of star stuff. After all, he says, you're not shocked that celestial bodies, uh, the spheres of the heavens, let the light through. So why would you be surprised that souls let the light through without casting a shadow? You can hear right behind that, and yet I'm damned. Yet I am lost. Yet purgatory is not my place. And this problem is found even in the poetry. I should tell you that in this passage, Virgil's speech is incredibly flat. When he says, Naples has my corpse, it was taken from Brindisi, the line in the medieval Florentine is, Napoli la e da Brandizio e tolto. It's so unpoetic. And when he says, even the one substance in three persons takes that infinite path, flat. Que tiene una sustanza entre persone. It is not beautiful poetry. Does this tell us something about Virgil? 
Is Virgil bitter? Do we see the bitterness in this passage? And I think the answer might be yes, that in my body, which has been taken from me, I could have figured this out. No, I couldn't. And now, even as a soul with reason still intact, can I figure this out? No, I still can't. And to compound things, why does God give us bodies, according to Virgil, to suffer torments, heat, and cold? Well, that doesn't sound very nice. So we get these bodies that help us, that we yearn for, that we miss when they're gone. And yet at the same time, what are they good for? Well, they're good for suffering, torments, heat, and cold. That's not very positive, is it? That seems super bleak. Virgil, you're on the edge of an almost nihilistic grief here. This strikes me as Virgil's ultimate sorrow, and that's where the passage ends, so let's get to the ending of it. Be happy, O human race, with the quia. Now, we just have to stop right there. So Virgil is no longer addressing Dante. He's addressing all people. What is going on here? How is Virgil addressing humanity? We obviously have the poet allowing Virgil to address humanity, but does that mean Virgil has somehow (laughs) turned away from Dante and is standing there proclaiming on the ledge of purgatory? What is this address? Or is Dante putting this in here as a sermon to humanity in Virgil's voice? Yes, that's the truth. But then it's curious, right? Why would you have this uh, sermon of be content with what you can know and don't try to go any farther? Why would you have this sermon in an embittered voice? Be happy, O human race, with the quia. He uses a Latin word, and it's from scholastic theology. And essentially what he says is, be happy, O human race, with the fact with what is. Uh, Aquinas uses this phrase to indicate what is, as in reality facts. Has Virgil studied scholastic philosophy? Has Virgil taken a Thomas Aquinas course? Does Virgil know how scholastics think? Well, maybe, given the use of the word quia here. Again, who's he addressing? Because if you'd been able to see everything, there'd been no need for Mary to have given birth. Now it gets really depressing. All right, so if you could figure everything out on your own with your own reason, there would be no reason for the incarnation, which is ironic Because Virgil is said to have predicted the incarnation. In Eclogue 4, Virgil posits a virgin conceiving and having a child that will save the world. Christian interpreters grabbed this and thus made up stories about St. Paul visiting the tomb of Virgil. Virgil in the Eclogue is most likely talking about Augustus. Still and nonetheless, medievals looked at that text and thought, Virgil got so close. And here he seems to know about the incarnation. He doesn't seem to know exactly birth to what. But if you go back to the Eclogue, this child does seem to be the salvation of the world. There's a further irony here. 
Mary wouldn't have had to give birth. So if God had given us full understanding, does that mean Adam and Eve wouldn't have fallen? Does that mean if Adam and Eve had been given the full understanding, a fully rational answer to everything, that they wouldn't have bitten into the fruit? If that's the case, then why would God create somebody destined to fall? Why would God create somebody without the full rational? Well, all he had to do is give them everything, tell them everything, and then they would have said, no thanks to the fruit. <laughs> Dante seems to be arguing that Jesus brings about a final revelation and explanation for all truths in Virgil's mouth, but with no full, that means there's no Jesus, right? So there's a contradiction here. What, wait, what happens in Christian theology? If we'd known everything, we wouldn't have needed Jesus? And then it goes on. And you've seen, Virgil says, the fruitless desire of that sort who's longing to have their desires fulfilled has eternally caused the grief, their grief. I mean, he says basically, you know, remember Limbo? You saw those people who were really smart, who questioned everything, who tried to reason out everything, and they're stuck in limbo. And in case you don't get the reference, Virgil goes on and explains it. Well, Dante has Virgil go on and explain it. I'm talking about Aristotle and Plato and a lot of others. And then this last line. At this point, he lowered his forehead, said no more, and remained in distress. Poor Virgil. Virgil saw the virgin birth. Virgil predicted it according to medieval lore. Virgil's tomb was even visited by St. Paul according to medieval lore. And yet, Virgil is damned. He's not there in the body casting a shadow, and he clearly misses his body and is a little bit embittered by it. Naples has my corpse. It was taken from Brindisi. As well, there are others like Cato who are here. Yet, Virgil says, I'm made of the same stuff as the celestial stars. No wonder he lowers his forehead, says no more, and remains in distress. The texture here is astounding. The tragedy of Virgil is astounding. The notion that this great Roman poet is damned while others, surprisingly, will be saved. Well, <laughs> when we get up to Paradiso and we find Trojans pre-Christ are saved, this noble Roman poet is not saved. This causes the textured tragedy that is the very essence of Purgatorio and that makes Purgatorio so interesting. Let me say one more thing about the poetry of these lines. In the middle of this passage, there are interesting rhymes. We rarely talk about this, but I just want to point this out from the medieval Florentine and without going too far into it. I know it's pretty esoteric, but without going too far into it, let me tell you how these rhymes work out in the middle of this passage. Virgil makes three rhymes, via quia Maria, that is path, what is Mary, or the way, the facts, 
Mary. That seems to be a continuum, doesn't it? Via quia Maria. It seems as if there is a way, a path that goes through reality and leads to Mary's virgin birth. Interwoven in that rhyme sequence is a second rhyme sequence that goes tutto frutto luto. Tutto is all, everything. Uh, Fruto is fruit, but that's where he's talking about without fruit. It doesn't lead to any fruit. That's what I translated as fruitless desire. And then the last luto is grief. He says in my translation, because if you'd been able to see everything, tutto, there'd been no need for Mary to have given birth. And you've seen the fruitless desire, sansa fruto of that sort whose longing has to have their desires fulfilled has eternally been the cause of their grief, luto. Inside of the rhyme Via Quia Maria, we also get this rhyme tutto senza frutto luto. Everything leads to no fruit, which leads to grief. Those two rhyming interconnectors clearly bear on what's happening here. The hope of the incarnation and the tragedy of Virgil that everything finally leads to a place of grief without any fruit. Now we're ready to look at the first three lines of the passage. Dante was upset that his shadow appeared on the mountain and Virgil didn't making a shadow, and Dante thought he'd been abandoned, and he whips around to look for Virgil, and then Virgil replies, he turns back to him and says, why are you still distrustful? Don't you believe that I'm next to you and that I guide you? And the word used for Virgil there is my comfort. I translated it as my comfort Virgil, so you would understand who it is, but it's my comfort turned around and said these lines. Here's the big question. Is Virgil, a comfort. (laughs) There are two things that are odd here. One, does the damned poet Virgil need to fortify the faith of Dante? Apparently. But here's another question. Given this passage in which he says, I can't make sense of anything and you'd be crazy to try to figure it out on your own, (laughs) can Virgil fortify Dante? Dante. Well, apparently, yes. Apparently, he can't buck Dante up. But then again, no, he can't because he doesn't understand it. The dominant question here is the irony of that word comfort. Is Virgil not a comfort for Dante? This passage doesn't go to comforting places. This passage goes to very difficult places and ends with Virgil with his head down and clearly pained. Or is it that Virgil can no longer be a comfort for Dante in Purgatorio? Well, if that's the truth, which I don't think it is, but you could argue that if that's the truth, then why is Virgil here? Or is there a comfort that Virgil can provide even when Virgil himself is in distress? And if this is the answer, that Virgil can provide comfort even when he himself is in distress, then Virgil is not only tragic, he's heroic. He is able to overcome his own suffering to offer Dante comfort. Now, we have to stop and say all of this 
is being set up by Dante the poet in the background. So the poet is creating the very problems we're talking about. These problems are not natural. They don't just occur because Virgil's a real person and Dante the Pilgrim's a real person and they're walking across purgatory. This is all being imagined. And the poet is setting us up to ask these questions. But notice what the poet is setting us up to ask. Can Virgil be a comfort? How can Virgil be in distress? Can you be a comfort even when you're in distress? If so, you must not only be tragic, you must be heroic because Virgil attempts to comfort Dante and say, lucky you, you know about the incarnation, you know more because of revelation. And I've just got this divine gift of reason, which is great, but it doesn't answer the final questions. And oh, by the way, I made a star stuff, but somehow I'm stuck in limbo with Aristotle, with Plato, and with everybody who did their best to figure this out. It is so bleak, so grim, and yet so human that I could be in pain but offer comfort to someone else. Let's just sit here for a second and let the passage land and say that intense, eternal grief still doesn't stop the noble Virgil from comforting Dante. Let's read this passage one more time because it's just so complicated. Purgatorio, Canto 3, lines 22 through 45. Then my comfort Virgil turned fully toward me and said, Why are you still distrustful? Don't you believe that I'm next to you and that I guide you? It's now evening back where the body with which I used to make a shadow is buried. Naples has my corpse. It was taken from Brindisi. If I don't cast a shadow now, don't marvel more than you would at the heavens where one celestial sphere doesn't block the light of another. To suffer torments, heat, and cold, the great power grants us bodies like these. Even so, it doesn't grant us the revelation to explain its ways. Anybody is crazy who hopes our reason has the ability to transverse the infinite path that the one substance in three persons takes. Be happy, O human race, with the quia, because if you'd been able to see everything, there'd have been no need for Mary to have given birth. And you've seen the fruitless desire of that sort, whose longing to have their desires fulfilled has eternally been the cause of their grief. I'm talking about Aristotle and Plato and a lot of others. At this point, he lowered his forehead, said no more, and remained in distress. I thought about giving this passage two episodes. It's just so complicated, but I tried to pack it in. There is so much more to be said. I wish, oh, how I wish we could have a glass of red wine, a cup of tea, a bourbon, if you're like me, a bourbon. And we could sit and talk about this as the sun sets on a summer evening because there is so much to be said about this passage, so much to be said about Virgil's character, but we are going to pass on. Virgil has made these dramatic claims of his grief and what he perceives far off as salvation. And now we've got to move on. You know this can't be the end of the story, even though it feels like it comes to an end as Virgil hangs his head. No, there's more. 
subscribe to this podcast, rate it, like it, do those things because it really helps me in this otherwise unsupported work. And come back next time. I'm Mark Scarborough. This is Walking with Dante. I'll see you next time.